Hello and welcome to the More From Law podcast. I'm your host, Harry Clark. Today's episode features Jason Sutton, founder of the Corporate Law Academy. In this episode, Jason and I discuss the best way to put pen to paper for training contract applications and give some different tips for the different types of interviews that law firms like to use, as well as how to grow your own network and overcome public speaking nerves. We also touch on what training contract is really like and address some common misconceptions that students often have about the whole process. Let's get into it. So hi, Jason. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks very much for having me. It's great to have you here. Um, so we were talking a little bit about this off air just before we got started, but the last time we spoke properly was back in August of last year. And um, that was when I had the chance to actually feature on your podcast with um, TCLA's Trading Talk. And uh, in all honesty, I was thinking about it this morning, but that was really one of the first times I kind of had the opportunity to you know, put myself out there, promote my blog and share what I knew. And um, I kind of view it as the starting point for everything I've been through. So, um, you know, first and foremost, thanks for coming on the show, but also thanks so much for giving me that opportunity um, all those months ago. No, so, yeah, I mean, it was your proactiveness that reached out to me. And actually Mm. after you, we then started um, just sending out a form for other people to apply to be on the podcast. Mm. Um, So you're a nice trigger. But um, yeah, like (laughs) I was saying, it's crazy how much... um, how much has happened since uh, we last spoke. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I could say the same about TTLA um, and everything you've been doing. So, you know, seeing seeing it grow from where it, when I first sort of started following you back in August to where it is today has been you know, absolutely amazing. I've seen you kind of travel around the country. You've been mm. giving all these talks, producing all these kind of courses and content. Um, I'm sure that most of those listening will have, have heard of TCLA, but um, for those who perhaps don't and are, are just getting used to, to, to the world of commercial law, what's your sort of background into it and the kind of whole story behind uh, the Corporate Law Academy. Sure, yeah. So, I, I mean, it's ironic because I'm advising people going into law, but I've actually left the legal profession. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I get asked that a lot. Um, mm. So, like like I mentioned there, I've been through the process myself. Um, I didn't actually want to be a commercial lawyer until a bit later. Um, mm. I knew I wanted to be a lawyer, but I used to find like finance and business quite intimidating. Um, when I started uni, I wanted to run my own business at the time, but yeah, I just had no idea how I'd go about doing that. It was more like a, an aspiration at the time. Mm. Then at uni, I just saw everyone else was applying to commercial law firms or like talking about commercial law within my course. And that just made me feel, okay, like I'm going to check this out and mm. see it's for me. Then, um, yeah, once I decided that, I decided to just, you know, throw myself fully into commercial law, like forget this idea of running my own business. Um, I tried to understand the commercial world and actually ended up finding it really interesting, at least like the theoretical side. Um, I think I mentioned this on like, uh, I know we had like a blog interview before, but it's kind of like when you first start, it's a bit like a a jigsaw, like everything feels very fragmented. It's um, completely new to you. It's like a new language, but I used to find it so satisfying when, yeah, those pieces clicked. Um, You start to see how interconnected the financial world was. Um, etc. So yeah, like I, after that, I knew commercial law was for me. Did um, I did four vacation schemes, um, converted three of them into offers, and then ended up accepting Wile, which is like a US-based private equity firm, to start my training contract. Um, didn't want to start straight away, so I went off to do a master's for a year. Um, then did law school and started at Wile in two thousand seventeen. That brings me to, yeah, so that was an interesting phase. <laughs> and that was the kind of turning point, I guess, yeah. So, so it was going all uphill until that point. And then, yeah, it's a, I mean, we could touch on the but it's a huge shock when you start mm. at a law firm and 
I think it's hard to imagine what it's really like, even if you've done vacation schemes yourself. Yeah. Um, for me, the trigger was I was, I mean, I was working exceptionally long hours just because we happen to be quite short staffed. Mm. And for me, I just wanted to use that time to run something of my own. Um, the sensible thing to do would have been to stay until the end of my training contract, but just the way I work, I, I, I just woke up one morning and once this that is, idea... Today's had, the day. <laughs> yeah, so like once I had that idea, I just couldn't shake it and mm. it didn't take, like it wasn't that long after I left. Um, that leads me to, you know, that period was definitely really uncertain. Like I'd spent so much time preparing to be a commercial lawyer, you know, trying to secure this training contract and then mm. suddenly I had no idea of what I was going to do. Um, still had this interest in wanting to run a business for, okay, like looking at all my skills and knowledge so far, what would be the best thing for me to do? And that seemed to be just seeing if I could start a, spa a business in the legal career space. Um, so that led me to starting TCLA, which, um, yeah, so it stands for the Corporate Law Academy. And we basically train people going into commercial law and try to prepare them for a career in law. Uh, so we do like courses. We have um, one of the largest forums for aspiring lawyers online. Um, it's been now been two years so yeah that fast forward to now it's definitely been uh yeah it, it's definitely been like a roller coaster uh, and yeah. lots of ups and downs along the way no I can only imagine and it's it's so interesting hearing you talk about your kind of background and I'm sure all those kind of you know vacation schemes you did and that practical experience in law school all probably fed into the stuff you're talking about now with TCLA so um it's probably even directed you in that in that direction to some extent with what you're doing mm. um but no it's been absolutely fantastic to, to see what you're doing and um all the resources you've been putting out is great and I'm sure it's so useful for so many people um you know I think I was trying to put a number on this the other day about how many applications I've probably had my eye on, but then I was just thinking it's probably nothing in comparison to the number that you've had a look through. I've, I mean, uh, I, mean I would estimate it's over a thousand. My God, wow! <laughs> like, genuinely, the past couple of years, um, yeah, I've I've read too many applications for a lifetime. <laughs> I'm trying yeah, so, to steer away from that now. <laughs> well, I guess it means you're a great person to talk to about applications, really. I mean, yep. um, I've only looked through, I mean, only a few hundred myself, but I know that with part of your, uh, your services is this application review thing. So you've clearly seen applications from every spectrum of um, good and bad and all kinds mm. of shapes and sizes. So, um, you know, in a, in a handful of phrases, what do you think is the difference maker for a good application versus uh, your, your bog standard average one? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'd say it comes down to three things. Um, mm. First one is, and this is like a combined point, but just being able to justify your motivation for commercial law and a firm without any doubts in the recruiter's mind. Mm. Um, second, knowing how to sell yourself on paper. And then third is knowing how to write. Um, and, and when I say that, like, application writing is just so different to what many candidates are useful uh, yeah, are used sure. to um, so yeah. yeah there's a speci specific way of approaching that on that on one of those points on selling yourself i mean i think that's one of the questions i actually get quite a lot from mm. students who message me is they sort of say um, you know i've got this list of experiences or i've done this thing but you know there's a fine line between arrogance and actually telling you know selling yourself in the sense that you need to demonstrate your strengths and things what was the kind of advice that you would give to someone who mm. was struggling to, I guess, put into words what their experiences were and trying to show off their unique selling points and best best aspects about their application? Yeah. So, I, I mean, as a starting point, I can understand it. I, I think 
many people, when they get to the point of applying to law firms, they just have never been in an environment where they've been used to selling themselves. Mm. So it feels like every time you're trying to shout out about your achievements, um, you're being arrogant or artificial. Just the point to make there is like, you know, recruiters reviewing thousands and thousands of application forms. They've only, they're only going to pick like five to 15% of people um, mm. to invite them to interview. So you just have to, you have to sell yourself if you want to be one of the candidates that stands out. Um, so that's the first point I'd raise is um, it's going to take time to get used to it. But if it's something you've clearly dedicated a long time to, it's something you're like passionate about or it's an extracurricular, there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with selling it on paper. Um, it's just we're not used to doing that. That's why it feels uncomfortable. Mm. Um, now, when it comes to putting it down on paper, I think it's a case of... Um, really teasing out what are the highlights within your experience. So many candidates can sometimes have similar experiences, but it's focusing on what you did that's notable um, or a highlight and trying to be very specific about, you know, what the results were, trying to quantify it where possible and just being specific as to what your involvement was within that. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And that's actually one of the kind of common pitfalls that I come across when I'm reading someone's CV or something is they'll often describe what their duties were, but not actually mm. give an insight into what they did in that role and how they either went above it or kind of tried to excel or had a sort of notable experience. So um, absolutely, it's so true to, to kind of go above and beyond what your responsibilities were and, and the kind of powerful impact that you made. Um, what are some of the other kind of more common pitfalls or misconceptions that you see people make in the, in the written application process? Do you mean just generally or with the why you type question? I guess just more generally, because I, I, mm -hmm. I think there's a there's a common few that I used to do anyway. <laughs> I'll be interested to see if you mention them. But yeah. yeah, so um, generally depends on which question we're talking about. But um, mm. I would say generally a big mistake is describing either what commercial lawyers do or describing, uh, so like mentioning facts about a firm. They don't get a recruiter any closer to understanding why you're applying. So mm. um, let's say, you know, pick one of the magic circle firms like Adam Overy. I see a lot of cap um, applications where candidates mention, you know, the number of offices they have. They find some really uh, sophisticated deal and just include that in the application. Yeah, guilty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and like, okay, so it's great that you know a lot about the firm, but if you've got f a paragraph full of facts about a firm, it's not really telling our recruiter why you're applying. Mm. Um, so that's, um, it's a good starting point to go into th that direction. But I think many candidates fall down um, because they, they get the knowledge, but they don't realize you want to use that to then justify why that's important to you. Mm. Uh, I think that's what starts to make an application stand out there. Um, then there's a few things like, so it comes down to tailoring your application. Um, like I said, learning how to write. So many candidates are used to essay writing so it's quite long-winded um, you want to be very concise and mm. precise with the language that you use there's a few techniques i think you can do for that um, so you could imagine trying to write to one person so just like imagine trying to write to a friend mm -hmm. you'd be amazed how the way you write can make make such a difference to the way your application comes across like you mm. can really get a sense of someone's personality just literally because of the way they write mm. um that i think is probably one of the most underrated aspects of a good application form but mm. probably the best application forms i see are where candidates know how to write well 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree 100%. I mean, you could be the best candidate in terms of your experiences and your academics, but if you don't convey it in the right way and you don't mm. target it effectively to who you're applying to, you know, you won't get too far in the process in, in all honesty. Exactly. So, um, you know, that, those are some great tips for the kind of why this firm question, which is kind of one of those inevitable written questions that you'll see almost on any application. Um, mm. But let's take one of the others, for instance, of why law or why commercial law. How can a candidate kind of um, extrapolate their thoughts and feelings about the commercial world and commercial law generally and really put it onto paper in a way that will help their application? So I think a starting point is understanding what commercial lawyers do. And mm. obviously that so that sounds obvious, but there's a difference between, you know, just Googling what commercial lawyers do and having a really sophisticated understanding of what they do in practice. Um, and that comes down to, you know, going to events, listening to podcasts like this, trying to understand, okay, what makes a commercial lawyer different to other types of lawyers and then different to other types of finance professionals as well. Mm. Um, and like, so on a big picture level, you can take, you can tease out commercial and the law side. So commercial, we're talking about um, understanding what makes businesses tick on like a big picture level, understanding the risks they face, the challenges they face in the market. You might tie that into why that interests you. Um, so that side is what makes it different to other types of lawyers. Mm -hmm. And then the legal side, um, so you're going to be drafting, negotiating contracts, um, applying the law to the facts of a client's business. That's what makes it different to other finance professionals. Um, so have that like sophisticated knowledge of what commercial lawyers do. And then you can go about justifying why it appeals to you. Mm -hmm. um, now I do have, so I do have an exercise for going about doing that. Um, so I try not to like tell people what my answers are because the way you stand out is you want your reasons to be really personal to you and your yeah. journey and your story. Um, but my advice there was just, so get a, you know, a blank piece of paper or a word document and just start by writing as honestly as possible. Why do you want to be a commercial lawyer? And, you know, don't worry too much at, at this point, like it won't sound like an application answer, but you just want to get your genuine reasons across mm -hmm. and like that will show through when it comes to your final answer. Then I'd suggest um, just asking yourself questions like your reasons. Um, so try to question your reasons. So say, for example, you said, I want to be a commercial lawyer because I find the work interesting. You might say, okay, why do you find the work interesting? Mm. How does that connect to your experiences? Like, so what? Yeah. Um, if you keep questioning your your reasons, you'll end up with an answer that's, um, you know, it goes a level deeper. It stands up to your scrutiny. And if it does that, it's probably going to stand up to the scrutiny of the recruiters as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a great point. And in all honesty, in the kind of first round of application process, that was one of my guilty sins was the whole time I would make such vague statements like that. And I'd never kind of explain the so what or the why or you know, mm. evidence this kind of points. And yeah, generally when I'm going through applications, that's kind of the one word I'm writing down next to everything is, you know, why, why, why or so what. Mm. So um, absolutely, that's a great, great exercise to share for going above and beyond on that on that explanation. Just add to that. So um, yeah, I think many candidates approach that question by, so like so many applications, I read the same phrase, which is either like, I want to be a commercial lawyer because I'm interested in law and business or like the relationship between law and commerce. Um, so that can be, uh, you know, if you've um, using those kinds of reasons because you've read it off somewhere or you've read it from someone's applications, that just isn't going to stand you out. Mm -hmm. The same goes for using certain phrases like intellectually stimulating. Um, yeah. You know, there's just so many buzzwords that you wouldn't know. But when I'm reading so many applications after applications, uh, 
you don't stand out if you're approaching it in the way of basing it off someone else. If you start yeah. it with your personal journey, I think that's more, much more likely to make it stand out. Yeah, absolutely. And that only echoes what I've heard when talking to members of graduate recruitment. You know, they say the number of times that this firm has this many offices in this many countries, you know, you need to really make that personal connection and, and almost sell your story, I guess, to the recruiters to, as to why you're in front of them and, and asking for that, that place on a vacation scheme or something. Um, so some, some fantastic insights there on the written applications. Um, thanks so much for that. Turning to another aspect of the uh, application process with interviews, mm-hmm. so um, a lot of candidates applying might not have had a lot of experience when it comes to the kind of different types of interviews that you can run into in the training contract application process, because they can be quite different from your just bog standard in-person competency ones. Um, but sticking on that type for now, when it comes to those in-person competency questions, what are your tips and help for people who are struggling with things like um, tell me about a time that you demonstrated leadership or you know what is it that you feel are your biggest strengths or weaknesses what are the best ways to approach those competency-based questions yeah so there's certain competencies that you can prepare for um, mm. and that's just a case of finding a list of questions and um, yeah practicing it and you know there's resources online like you can use the star technique which is a way of framing Mm -hmm. your answer so you're briefly going through the situation task action and results Um, ideally spending the most time in the action section to be specific Mm -hmm. about how you responded to a situation so that's like i think on a basic level the way you practice that is just get used to saying it out aloud Um, Mm -hmm. many candidates are used to drafting their answers in like written form and it's hard to when you get to an interview and you're in that pressurized situation, that often doesn't translate. So you do want to practice it either with someone or uh, in front of the mirror or something. Mm -hmm. But then also just being aware that with competency questions, there's going to be questions that you can't prepare for um, or you just wouldn't have prepared for. Mm -hmm. So what you want to do is get good at answering competency style questions rather than necessarily like scripting answers to every possible competency question. Um, and the way I'd say that uh, suggesting that is just, again, getting a piece of paper, drafting up a document, just listing out all your experiences. Um, many candidates immediately think, OK, I don't have that many, but you just want to mention as many as possible, even if it's like a small interest or a hobby you did a while ago. Mm. And then within those experiences, try to start thinking about what competencies they show. So one experience might be used for leadership, but it could also be used for like teamwork or um, working in a pressurized situation or Mm. responding to a mistake. Ideally, when it comes to being asked competency questions in the interview, you want to then draw from your bank of answers that you've got in your head and then draw from a variety of examples to show the range of your experiences as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a great point. And uh, it just goes to show that the more prep you do before you get in the room will really kind of help you in standing for those unexpected moments when you don't know what, what what's coming your way. Exactly. And just to add to that, knowing your actual application inside out as well and kind of, you know, there were quite a few times when I'd make an application and there'd be one of those operative words like um, clients or um, are expanding into this territory where, you know, I hadn't essentially given enough detail and I knew that if I was the recruiter, I wanted to pick up on that and ask, ask me about it. So, mm. um, you know, knowing your own application inside out and being aware of those areas where you've 
perhaps mentioned something but not in as much detail is mm. uh, yeah another great tip that goes hand in hand with, with that skills preparation and just to add to that so um especially for partner interviews if you just mm. imagine before the interview like so partners are busy they're probably going to get your application maybe like five to ten minutes before your interview and mm. they might just look at your application just mark up anything that they want to question you on so you can prepare for that by just doing the same thing with your own application, printing it off and think, okay, I did a history degree. They might ask me why I didn't go into academia or pursue that further. Mm-hmm. Uh, why do I have these kind of legal experiences? What was my strategy for that? Um, basically going through every single point, like why do I have a lower grade in one module? And you can kind of um, prepare for some of the interview questions that you'd expect to get. And that's all I do mm-hmm. in the mock interviews is the same thing. I just mark up a candidate's um, application and often that's what ends up happening in the real thing as well. No, absolutely. That's some great insight into uh, the competency-based interviews. So it's fantastic. But as we both know, as we've both been in the process, that's not <laughs> the only way that firms can interview. And there are so many different ways that they do it now. Everything from videos to case studies, group interviews, panels, and so on. So mm. um, let's take one of the more common different ways of interviewing, which is the video interview, generally a kind of earlier stage assessment. Yeah. How would your advice differ for a you know video interview where there's not actually anyone in the room with you and you're kind of reading off a a screen and then responding in that way what's your best advice there yeah video interviews are horrible i think that's um, just <laughs> yes, <they> <laughs> universally accepted that no that and psychometrics are just yeah. universally hated yeah. um, let's not touch on the washing blazer please <laughs> no uh, it's been a long time for me anyway but video yeah. interviews are um the reason candidates, I think, hate this so much is because it is just, it's nothing you're used to doing before. You're used to speaking to someone in person. Uh, at least it's not a huge leap to then justify yourself or answer questions there. But speaking to a computer under very short timed conditions, um, that's very scary. Mm. So the way you get over your fear then is just practicing it in enough times that like it no longer scares you. So it starts to feel a bit more natural. Now I'd suggest for that then is just like record yourself if you don't have access Mm -hmm. to anything else, at least from the very basic, just record yourself, set up a stopwatch or a timer, go through, um, so video interviews questions, I think they're getting a bit harder now, but some of them, yeah, yeah, some of them, it depends on the firm. Some of them are quite straightforward, um, but just practice those kinds of questions, you know, dress up for it, uh, record yourself. um, Then you know, once you've done that, try to review your um, recording and you might start to notice, you know, certain blind spots. So are you speaking clearly? Um, are you speaking loudly enough? Are you gesturing? Are you varying your tone? Mm. Those are the kinds of things that, it, you know, it's easy to spot when you're someone reviewing someone's video interviews, but you might not necessarily know that you do. Um, so that's yeah. why I really recommend videoing yourself to help that. Um, yeah. Plus, just one point on timing. So most candidates struggle with that. Just if you've got one minute and thirty seconds, just try to do like a one minute or like one minute and ten second answer. Because in the real thing, you're probably gonna, well, possibly gonna stumble on words or take a bit of time to get going. So it just gives you an extra breathing space there. Yeah, no, that's great. And you always want that time at the end to to sum up really and to link back to the question. So no, no, fantastic tips in the video. And then just one more type of interview, the case study. So again, a bit of a different style of interview because you're actually given some kind of documentation normally beforehand Mm. and asked to review that and then go into the interview room. 
um, especially if you're coming from a non-legal background and uh, you, you might not have seen a contract before. Mm. You know, what are the sort of tips you would give to someone who is unsure as what case studies are all about and the best approach they should be, especially when there's that limited time that firms often give you now? Yeah, case studies are, again, it's... Um... They're very hard. It's also from the perspective of someone trying to prepare candidates for case study interviews. It's quite mm. difficult um, because, okay, so probably the most common topic that comes up in case study interviews is M&A. So mm-hmm. if that does come up, there are certain questions that gets used over and over again. Um, so you might be given a scenario where you have to choose between two different target companies. And then that comes down to understanding why companies merge or acquire. Mm-hmm. Um, the same goes for understanding basic questions of like the difference between an asset purchase and a share purchase, the role of a law firm in M&A, warranties and indemnities. So if, if it is M&A um, and you've, you know, you can find interview experiences online, if you think that's likely, then just brush up on that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, that said, again, you want to start building techniques which you can use to apply to any types of case study interviews. Um, often it's going to be time intensive. So getting into the mindset that when you're reading lots and lots of documents in a short period of time, be comfortable discarding documents that you don't feel are relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, that's especially for firms like Alan Novery, which, I mean, they intentionally give you so many documents that it isn't possible to read in the limited mm-hmm. time you have. So you really have to do that in that kind of interview. Um, and then just noting the fact that you're going to be in a really uncertain situation being asked questions that you probably, you know, you've only read the document just before the interview. So that comes down to getting used to talking through your thought process aloud and articulating your points of view, trying to do, you know, be clear and keep your composure, even though you're being pressed by a partner. Mm. Again, that's, um, I would try to schedule a mock interview if, if you can, or just try talking through commercial issues out aloud. Um, mm. There's again, there's a, big difference between reading about commercial news and then trying to articulate you know what's the author's point of view do you agree with the author that's the kind of stuff that it only helps if you do practice out aloud and um, try to structure your answers clearly in that way yeah absolutely and it's a great way to test that you really understand something as well if you can explain something in you know a handful of sentences in a really simple way it kind of demonstrates that you know enough about it to to break it down to its most basic forms and communicate it to everyone really exactly and um, just to add on top of that i mean i i also didn't realize in the case study interview for me it was just that the extent to follow-up questions you'll get so um you know if you're unsure on an answer and you, you feel like you're not really 100% 100% putting your foot in it um, you know the partners will pick you up on that and, and or play devil's advocate and play the other side so um, don't just think that a yes or no answer is going to be enough I, I definitely recommend um, preparing for those follow-ups as well and just um, be careful of mentioning a technical topic that you don't know much about because oh, interviews absolutely. will pick up like I know so many candidates where they just you know they were trying to impress with their knowledge but they mentioned something that was above their reach and then the mm. interviewer spent the next like 10 minutes just pushing them on that issue yeah which is uh yeah you don't want to steer the interview in that way absolutely i mean i've, I've always just dreamt of someone in a scenario who's read about all these buzzwords like blockchain or whatever <laughs> and then they don't realize they're sat across from the manager the partner <laughs> who manages that area of the department so yeah absolutely only speak to what you're competent to as well that's a great point So finally, just a couple more things I wanted to touch on before we wrap up. Um, mm. So 
as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, you've been doing all of this kind of public speaking. You've been able to travel around uh, the country, giving all these talks, and you've been essentially networking all around uh, the UK. Um, networking is a bit of a scary word, I think, for quite a few law students because a lot of them hear a lot about it and how important it is. But when it comes to actually doing it in person and breaking through those initial doubts and anxieties and things, it's quite tough. So mm. what was your kind of thought process behind putting yourself out there, um, both on places like LinkedIn and just generally in person at these events and things? And what would your advice be to someone who's looking to learn more about the industry through that kind of mechanism? Mm. So like, as a starting point, it makes... Because of the way we market TCLA, it, like it makes it seem like, you know, I'm this super good public speaker. I like, you know, I've always wanted <laughs> the to publish. Anyway, that's <laughs> <laughs> but like the reality is, when I started, I was exactly the same. Where like many yeah. listeners are now, I'm also like I am, I have an introverted personality. Like this is so outside my comfort zone, and it was only mm. a case of building myself up to this point over many years of like pushing myself, like you know, taking lots of baby steps and pushing myself out there. Yeah, I can tell you plenty of stories where, like, you know, I've left an assessment center before because I felt so uncomfortable. Wow, really? Yeah, really. And like a group exercise. I used to be like very quiet in group exercises. Um, mm. It took me a lot of courage just to go to a networking event. Mm. So if you are that kind of personality, the point to make here is just, you know, just because you've started the process and it feels super intimidating, it doesn't mean it's going to always be like that. Um, mm. It's just, it's kind of like exposure therapy, just. Absolutely. yeah like attending one event and then suddenly attending another event is a little bit less scary after your 10th event you just don't really get that fear anymore mm. um now public speaking and like okay starting with linkedin because that's what i started on first uh linkedin is incredible for from like a tcla point of view is incredible for meeting students and just mm-hmm. so many people have heard about us through linkedin um it's also a great way of reaching out to people like normally you would do this through email which is much easier to ignore um because you've got your profile and like you might be posting publicly i i would say i'm not i used to be very good at responding to linkedin messages but i just can't cope with the capacity so i'm not (laughs) the best person to represent this at the moment but i would say it's a case of um utilize the fact that you can just message people Mm-hmm. What matters though is how you ask. So I'm much more likely to respond to someone that sends me a tailored short message, um, you know, detailing exactly what they're looking for or mentioning something that's a bit personal. So there's that connection mm-hmm. there. Um, rather than just saying, you know, I've decided to, I want a training contract. Can you help me? Um, mm. you, I think when contacting, and that's just me, imagine like a partner or, or a lawyer yeah. at a law firm, you want to be careful in the way you contact them that increases their chances of responding quite a few people message me and or say something it's like how do i get a training contract and mm. it's just like well how long have you got because you know how long is a piece of string there's so many different aspects into the process and each person will have different areas that they should improve on more that the strength that they need to emphasize so absolutely view your point of getting really specific and kind of making sure that you've nailed down exactly what you want to get out of the message or connection before you send it exactly and the other side is that is like so people do want to help um mm. just people are busy um i'd love to be able to help like, every single person that contacts me um the same goes for i think it's because this is my business i get like a lot of people contacting me but a lot of trainees and associates they'll get some people contacting them but if you just 
message lots and lots of trainees and associates, especially if you're applying to their firm and you want to know more about it. Mm. Just like see if you can arrange a coffee. That's like a huge benefit of LinkedIn that you can just email them um, immediately that skyrockets your application if you can mention the person you spoke to and yeah you know tying in what you learned about the firm and why it interests you there's just so much value to be gained from building up those connections um i know you've done that really well as well with building your presence on linkedin mm. um, you must see the same thing but it's still yeah. such a hugely like underutilized resource i think that's only going to grow yeah absolutely and i think right now it's obviously dominated by people who are currently practicing or mm. you know or companies and brands and things but there really is an opportunity for people to you know learn more about the process especially if you're a law student and um yeah to make those connections really and to you know like you said with your coffee point you could send out 20 messages and even if only two people get back to you saying that they're going to meet that's absolutely a win because mm. you've got those two people as contacts and you've, you've hopefully got some long-term help uh, from them in that sense really so absolutely and also noting that law firms and like recruiters are using linkedin um, some are mm. more active than others so i know one candidate so he wrote an article for tcla um it was a fantastic article so i was like keen to promote it on linkedin um he ended up the um one of the recruiters for a law firm like i won't mention which one but like the post um he ended up being successful in the vacation scheme interview and it was mentioned in his interview that they came across this article wow. um, via linkedin and he ended up getting a training contract again he talked about in the interview and it was mentioned there so he like he is convinced that just that promotion <laughs> on linkedin was successful yeah. in him getting a training contract and obviously it was one small part of like a huge like other metrics they were considering but you just never know who's going to see your posts or um if you do go down that route of routes of like starting to post publicly, that can also be hugely beneficial as well. Yeah, and I, I, that echoes my own experience of you know those first few articles or times you write, you don't know what you what you're doing, and you just kind of feel like who's going to read this. But mm. um, you know, it leads to those kind of opportunities and things that you could never have predicted. So um, to anyone who's kind of semi considering making that step of putting yourself out there and writing something, um, absolutely go for it because it's a great way to. Um, you know raise your own profile and hopefully make some new connections along the way and i'll tell you like when you do posts you're going to feel like who am i to be writing these posts <laughs> exactly like, i still feel that now <laughs> I, exactly so I, even i still get that now and i'm yeah. i've been doing posting regularly for such a long time i get that every single time i post um mm. it's just constant even if you know you by this point sometimes i feel like what i'm writing ad, is going to add value but i still get mm. the same thing um and like I even post through my company page and just share it, so I'm not even sharing it as me. But I still get <laughs> yeah. the same thing. So you got a subsidiary of the, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> uh, and that's actually part of the reason that I did it. Is like I wanted to focus on the company, but it also makes it easier that I don't have to be the one sharing it through my profile directly. Yeah. So if you're feeling like you wanted to say something, but you're worried about okay, who am I to say this? Just remember, like everyone that ever posts feels the same thing unless they're yeah. like incredibly self-confident <laughs> <laughs> yeah you do get those types on LinkedIn you do so, yeah. yeah yeah um and just quickly before we wrap up um I did want to ask you a quick question um mm -hmm. about training contracts essentially because yeah. i think so much focus is placed on getting one and the obsession with you know needing to do one mm. um when a lot of the time people don't really understand what they're all about and obviously i haven't started mine yet starting mine in september this year mm. um but for those who have never done a training contract 
in a handful of sentences um is it everything that you think it is and and, and you know <laughs> what's it like <laughs> so i was at a u.s firm where the learning style was very much you don't really know what you're doing 99% of the time. Interesting learning style. <laughs> <laughs> it's very much like learn on the job. Um, yep. There's a, There was a, some guidance and it completely depends on who you're with, but you learn very quickly, but you also learn by doing. Um, and that's definitely suited to some personalities more than others. Mm. Um, and that would be different. So some firms are a bit more gradual in the training. Mm. Um, so that's just one aspect of the training contract worth noting is it is something to consider about managing your ability to work those long hours and just trying to look after yourself right from day one because uh, it's quite easy to you know just push that aside focus on work and yeah that can take a toll on your mental health so i think that's mm. that's very important um i feel like i'm not selling the training contracts well <laughs> so <laughs> well, it's good that you're being honest i think because yeah um, I, a lot of people misunderstand it i mean i think it's worth highlighting that yeah, it's um, you work really hard to get a training contract, and it's incredible when you do get one. But don't feel ashamed to like if it is hard and it will be hard. That is also mm. okay to say. Um, mm. I did do a few closings during my time there, and that's also a huge thrill. So I was mm. working just with a partner because um, my supervisor was away, and. I was essentially like I was a first seat trainee and associate was calling me on the other side. I was managing the signatures and you're working really late. And that is quite exciting. That's very exciting. It's um, there is a huge rush to this idea that you're playing a crucial role in the completion of this deal. Mm. Um, don't do what I did and say all the signatures had been collected when one was missing. <laughs> oh, <and then> no. <laughs> cause the partner to chase the other side up before like an afternoon deadline. <laughs> oh dear. I've, I've heard similar horror stories. One of my friends who received a stamped court document and then, you know, just essentially put it in a drawer thinking that, you know, there was nothing, nothing to do with it. Not realizing that there was a seven day deadline to file a reply. Okay. And on the sixth day, his boss comes along and says, what did you, uh, what did you do with that document? Where did it go? He's like, oh, I just put it in the drawer. And then <laughs> for the next like 24 hours, they were scrambling to get that together. So that's a really human point about, um, you know, getting things wrong and learning. So um, no, thanks for sharing those insights. Um, so just before we close, um, where can people learn more about TCLA and yourself? Sure. So um, the website is thecorporatelawacademy.com. Mm -hmm. um, most people go to our forum, which is thecorporatelawacademy.com slash forum. Um, and then you'll find, yeah, lots of other students going through the application journey. Um, we also have a podcast, which I am due to restart for this year. I've been a Exciting. bit slow with application, uh, yeah, applications, but I've got a few episodes lined up. Uh, so that's called Training Talk, and you can find that on podcast software. And then the other places, yeah, so LinkedIn, uh, you can find me at just Jason Sutton or just search the Corporate Law Academy um, and you can get our, our posts through there as well. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Jason. It was really insightful and uh, great to speak with you again. No, it was great to speak to you too. It's nice being on the other side where I'm the guest yeah. this time. I'm not used to it. <laughs> it's good fun. <laughs>